Good morning. God is good. And all the time. Amen. He is always good. Karen told me this morning, she says, I, have to, I might have to watch and watch for it to start snowing. I might have to hurry it along. So just let you know it's not snowing yet as <laughs> I look out the windows. But uh, I'll, I'll try. Because I had the van. Right. <laughs> Amen. You know, that first hymn that we sang, a few of the words in there, it said, Lord, teach me to love. Teach us to love. Isn't that awesome? God help me. Help me to love. Help teach me. You know, we, we sometimes we need to be taught Amen. how to love. Lord, if there's any way in me that needs to be fixed that I can love more, Lord, do that for me. Amen? Amen. This morning, my message I titled, Nehemiah, a man of action. So, you can probably guess we'll be going to Nehemiah. But uh, before we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the honor to come into your house, Lord, to come in and worship together uh, in corporate worship. We thank you for that. Father, most of all, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that your name will be lifted high this morning, that you would be exalted. Father, that you would just speak to each of us the words that you need us to hear, Father. And Lord, may we be a blessing for you, Lord. We pray that we would bless you with our lives. We pray that we would bless you as a church. And Father, again, we just... Thank you. Thank you for your love. We thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, last week uh, I mentioned the battle that's been raging in our nation over this whole issue of a wall. Uh, the wall that the president and you know, many want to build between Mexico and the United States. Now, don't get scared. I'm not going to turn this into a political thing here today. Uh, but you know, it is good that I have a wife that she, is, she can be my critic. And I'm saying this in a good way. I'm not saying this in a bad way. That I can, you know, bounce things off of her. If I say something wrong, you know, she can let me know in a loving way. And, and that's a good thing. And last week she said, you know, you kind of made it sound like, for those that weren't here, I kind of made it sound like that all those that come across the border are bringing drugs into the country. And I didn't really mean it to come out that way if that's the way it sounded. So I'm kind of helping or correcting what I may have said. Uh, I, I did kind of say it that way, and I didn't mean it to come across that way. Uh, I do realize that not everybody that comes across the border are bringing drugs into our nation. But it is a major issue. So with that in mind, I mean, that's kind of was on my mind this week, and I'm working on that. I did a little research. And this is a little bit old, from 2015. Now, this is the amount of drugs seized at our border. There were 1,536,499 pounds of marijuana seized at the border in 2015. There was 4,294 pounds of cocaine seized at the border in 2015. Now... That's just two drugs. That's not counting all the others. And they have no idea how much gets across undetected, unseized. Because the sheer number of people traveling across the border every day is just astounding. At the San Sidro Port of Entry, it is the busiest land border crossing in the entire world. They check 50,000 vehicles a day, 20,000 pedestrians a day. Now, they're not all going one way. That's both ways. 
50,000 cars in the That's a 24-hour period. How could they possibly do a thorough inspection of every single vehicle, right? That's just one border crossing between Mexico and the United States. There's more than one, but that's one crossing. So that's a lot of people, a lot of cars coming, coming across the border. And I know that this is a very extremely sensitive issue with many people. We do have a crisis. And would the wall be a fix for all of it? I'm not going to give you my... Just I could say probably not. You know, we have locks on our doors of our, our houses. Why? To keep the honest man honest, right? So is the wall going to fix it all? Probably not. Because the drug cartels down there, they are so filthy rich that they have unmanned submarines that they use to get some of the drugs from Mexico into our country. They have extensive tunnels to get drugs into our country and people into our country. So the wall's not going to be a fix-all, I can tell you that. So I, I just have to say I wasn't going to make it a political thing. I hope that I'm not. But I will say this. There are probably a lot of good people wanting to come across the border to find a better life because the conditions are that horrible in Mexico. They, the, the, the pay is horrible for jobs if they can find a job. The crime is terrible. So there are many trying to come across just to try to better themselves, find a job. But I'm going to say this about all of that, and I'm going to just wrap it up and go on with it. I am so grateful that we live in a nation where people are trying to escape into I'm grateful that I'm not living in a nation that I'm trying to escape out of. Anybody else thankful for that? Yes. I'm thankful that I live in a nation that I'm not trying to escape out of. There's nowhere else in the world that I'd rather live than right here in the United States. There may be a lot of wrong with the United States, but there's no place I would rather live than right here in the good old USA. I'm thankful for it. I'm grateful for it. So since that was on my mind, that's what kind of got me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Nehemiah went to build a wall. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Cheslev in the twelfth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province, or province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire." So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You know, and I read that part. <clears throat> Nehemiah, he was broken. His heart was broken for his people, for his city. He wept and mourned for many days. Many days because he loved his people. He loved his family that much. And I said... I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive 
and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. I'll get the end of it in a moment. I love this part of it. Nehemiah is praying, and he didn't say, I'm going to pray for those bunch of heathens that's turned their back on you. He said, we, we have sinned against you. My Father's house and I have sinned. Brothers and sisters, when we pray for our nation, we, be saying, we should be praying, Father, we have sinned. Father, I have sinned. Forgive us. Don't point out the others, but con- you know, he was part of that nation. That was his people. We have sinned. That should be our prayers. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to a place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for for my name. Now those are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servants prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You know what? Be careful what you pray for, because God might send you, right? Be careful what you pray for. God might send you to help fix things. But I truly believe in all my heart that Nehemiah had it in his heart to go, his heart to go and be the leader, to be the man to help rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. You know, there are, we all, you know, we've got neighbors, we've got friends, we've got co-workers that we know people that sit around and they gripe and they complain about everything right they'll gripe about the government they'll gripe about their family they'll gripe about their neighbors they'll complain about this they'll complain about nobody does anything but all the while they sit back and do nothing they do nothing but gripe and complain nehemiah was not that kind of man he didn't gripe and complain about the situation that jerusalem found itself He didn't complain about the situation that his brethren were in. He took action. But what was the very first thing he did? Come on. He prayed. Amen. He prayed and he fasted. You know, it's not coincidence that he was the cupbearer of the king. God had him in that position for a reason, right? You know, a cupbearer would be in the presence of the king often because every time they brought the king a cup of wine or something to drink, what the cupbearer do? He's going to take a taste first to see if it's poison, right? That's why. That's why he had a cupbearer. Because the king didn't want to die drinking the poison. So if, he, if you had a hated king, man, there could be a big turnover of cupbearers. Right? I mean, oh, we need another cupbearer. Look, get him out of here. Go find me a new cupbearer, right? You, you want to hope that that king was loved by all. If you're the cupbearer, you never thought of that, did you? <laughs> John's back there laughing. Yeah, think about it. I mean, who'd like that job? 
Not me. <laughs> Drink it yourself, King. I don't, I don't want it. <clears throat> but he prayed. You know, it, it, it said that those that came to him came in the month of Chislev. And then he went before the king in the month of Nisan. That's four months. Four months. Four months that he was praying. You know, four months went by. And then all of a sudden, the king seen the anxiety. We'll get to that scripture in a minute. But he seen the anxiety in Nehemiah's face concerning his brethren. He wanted to know, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why is your countenance worried? Why are you upset? And he tells him. You know, I'll confess, I'm not the most observant guy about some things. This will probably make, what are you laughing at? <laughs> My wife will go get a haircut, and I may not notice. I may never notice it. But most people here probably already noticed last week that her hair was a fair amount darker than it had been. It's kind of red, too. And it was really blonde, pretty blonde. Well, the day she had her hair covered, colored, colored, covered, colored, I'd been home for hours. All of a sudden she says, honey, how'd you like my hair? I colored my hair. I'm like, did you? I didn't notice. So I wasn't... I'm, all right, sorry, stand correct, it was the next day. So I'm not extremely observant. However, some things I am very observant in. We pulled in the driveway this morning to pick up Landon, and I look up to the house across the, the yard there, the neighbor's house, and their handrail come unhooked, and it was leaning this way. And boy, as soon as I pulled in there, I said, Brian, look at that handrail up there. It's leaning. I can't help, I, I can't observe the right things to make my wife happy. <laughs> so... <clears throat> I said that to say this. He had known for four months, and I know that he was praying and fasting. Maybe the king was a little bit like me. <laughs> Maybe his faith showed that anxiety for four months, but he just didn't notice. It took him four months to notice if he was anything like me, right? So, I'm not an observant guy when it comes to some things. All right. So anyhow, a lot went on between the time of him going back and building the wall, there was a man named Zerubbabel that he had led a group of exiles back to Jerusalem in 536 B.C. He was the grandson of King Jehoiakim, the 18th king of Judah. Zerubbabel became the governor of Jerusalem. He began to rebuild the temple in 536 B.C. And then for some reason they quit building for 14 years and then they started again in 520 B.C., and they finished the temple in 516. I said that to say this, Nehemiah did not begin to rebuild the walls until 445 B.C. That works out to be 71 years. So from the time that some of the captives went back, and they, of course, through many years, built the temple, or rebuilt the temple, 71 years later, Nehemiah goes to work on rebuilding the wall. What, did, what happened in these 70 years? Were they sitting around doing nothing? No. They began to return under the edict of the Persian king Cyrus. Unlike the Babylonians, Persians' policy was to allow captives to return to their homeland, to begin to rebuild their government, to begin to rebuild their cities, to rebuild their religious system. Ezra also was another man that was very vital in 
getting Jerusalem restored and the people restored. He had letters from King Artaxerxes also that gave him authority to go back to Jerusalem and to begin to teach the people about faith in God, teach religion, teach them about following God and observing His ordinances. So there was a whole lot that transpired in these 70 years when Nehemiah finally comes back to rebuild the wall. Rebuilding the wall would require a man of great knowledge, a man of strong faith, a great leader, an encourager. And Nehemiah was that man. So the word got out though that the Jews were going to be rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And as it always works whenever someone's faithful to God and working for God, opposition arose. The enemy does not like it when God's work is being accomplished. The enemy rather would see God's people suffering, in distress, afraid. The enemy likes it when God's people are afraid. He likes to make God's people doubt. He likes to make God's people stumble in their faith. But our God is an awesome God. He's a powerful God, as Nehemiah says. Jesus proclaimed to His followers to expect opposition. In John 16, 31-33, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We will have tribulation in the world, friends, but we are overcomers in Jesus Christ. Amen? Nehemiah's opposition. We can read of that in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. You know, Israel as a nation incurred opposition, opposition from the enemy throughout their lives, throughout their entire lifetime. All of them, throughout the history of Israel. In this case, the children of Israel, though, are being faithful to God. They're carrying out His plan. They're preparing their great city. But the neighbors are furious. You know, there's no doubt that Satan is behind all the opposition that comes against God's work. And it began clean back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. My friends, we are part of that. We are part of the family of God. We are the children of Abraham. We have inherited that. Can you say with me, I am blessed? I am blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed. And the enemy from, the, from that time, from the beginning, is trying to destroy God's plans. That's why the opposition comes. He doesn't want, 
He tried to destroy Jesus. He tried to have all the children killed. Well, that didn't work. He's always opposed to God's plan. It will not always be easy to answer the call of God. It's not always going to be easy to answer and walk in His will. So maybe instead of saying it's going to be easy, we should say, I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be tough. But I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to stand against the opposition. Nehemiah and those that worked on the wall to rebuild, they worked with their swords on their sides. Nehemiah 4, 11-14. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. They were attempting to cause the work of God to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their sword, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. My friends, that's a word for us today. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord. He is great. He is awesome. He is powerful. Do not be afraid. Could you imagine having to work with your weapon, your sword on your side, to be on a constant lookout for the enemy? But the Israelites had a mind to work. They completed that task in 52 days. Charles Spurgeon started a magazine back in 1865, and he borrowed the title from Nehemiah. He called the publication, The Sword and the Trial. He said it was a record of, a, of combat with sin and labor for the Lord. It is not good enough to build the wall. We must also be on guard, lest the enemy take it from us. Building and battling are both a normal part of the Christian life if we are faithful disciples of God. End of quote. It's part of life if we are faithful disciples of God. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Hallelujah. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. My friends... When God calls us, whatever He calls us to, it may be to build a wall. 
It may be to plant a church. It may be to witness. It may be to preach. It may be to go on a mission trip. I don't know. God could call us to anything that He has in plan for you, in, in His will for you to accomplish. But here's what we must do. Stay the course. We must stay the course. If God has called us to do it, stay the course. They had their swords on their side. They continued to work. They stayed the course. Nehemiah was an encourager. He told them, do not be afraid. My friends, we have our sword. And right here it is. That's the only armor mentioned in Ephesians. That's the offensive armor. Stand on the Word of God. We might have to pull this sword out once in a while and do battle against the enemy. But we must stay the course. We need to keep it in our hearts, our minds, on our lips. Preach the Word. Know the Word. Know the Word of God. So we'll be ready in season and out of season. And do not be afraid because our God is an awesome God. Amen. He is a great God. We look. I'll go back to the issue again of our nation. He prayed for forty day or for four months. Forty day, four months. Have we been faithfully praying for our nation? I can't answer for everyone. I pray that everyone in here is saying yes. I have. So I'm throwing out a challenge here for all of us, all those listening, all here, and all that may be listening over the web. I challenge you to begin to pray every single day for our nation. I'll go back to what I said last week. We do have a moral issue in this nation. You know, if, if, I, am a, if I owned a company and, and I built widgets and was selling millions and millions of widgets, but all of a sudden the, the, the people in our nation decided they didn't like widgets, what's going to happen? I'm going to go under, right? Back to what I said about the drugs. If the people of this nation, if we could have revival and the hearts would be changed, they wouldn't be sending them over if people weren't going to buy them, right? I still stand on that. I stand on that. What we need is our nation to be turned, turned back to God. Why was the children of Israel scattered? Because of unfaithfulness. When they turned their hearts back to God, God blessed them again. We as a nation, I say we and I, we need to get our hearts right with God again as a nation. And we wouldn't have to worry about the drugs coming in. I know again, that's not the only issue. But Lord, help us to teach, teach us to love. Teach us to love. Help us not be afraid. And I'll throw that challenge out there. You can receive it if you'd if you like to pray for our nation every single day. Let's say as Nehemiah prayed for four months. Let's go longer than four months. Let's just commit to pray every single day for our nation. Let's pray for Mexico. Let's pray that things will turn around in Mexico. That they would have good jobs. That they would get their crime under control. That people would want to live there as much as they want to live here. And you think, well, wow, that's just a, that's a big prayer. Um, do you know how big our God is? We serve a great and awesome God, as Nehemiah said. It might seem like an impossible dream for us, 
but with God all things are possible. It is not too big for our God, but it begins when we humble ourselves and pray. So that's where I'm going to close today, that we humble ourselves and pray. And I'll ask you to pray. You know what? We're going to pray right now. We'll start right now. And if you feel led to come to the altars and pray, as we, in closing, we'll have our closing prayer and we'll pray for our nation. If you feel led to come, come and pray, or pray where you sit. But that's how I've felt led to close this today, to encourage you and to begin right now, pray for our nation. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that the battle belongs to you. Father, we know that it is your heart's desire that all men would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We know that it has to be your Spirit drawing men unto you. And Father God, we pray that your Spirit would move across this nation. Father, we pray that you would speak to hearts. Father, that you would bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. That you would bring peace where there needs to be peace. Father, where there's discouragement. And Father God, where there's distress, I pray that you would bring peace, that you would bring courage. Father God, I pray that we as a nation, we, Father, would turn from our sinful ways, that we would turn to you, Father, that we would seek forgiveness. Father, that you would hear our cry. Father, that you would hear our repentant hearts. Father, that you would come in and heal our land. Father, I pray that there would be unity in our nation. Father, unity in walking in Your ways. Not just unity for the sake of unity, but Father, that we would be united in Your ways, that we would follow Your commandments, that we would walk in Your statutes. Father, that we would once again be known as a godly nation. Father, just pour out Your Spirit across this nation from the east to the west and from the north to the south. Father God, may hearts be changed. Lord, I just pray for a mighty move of Your Holy Spirit across this land. And Father, we do pray for the nation of Mexico. Also, Father, that You would do a mighty work down there. Father God, that You would bring conviction upon all those who are working evil, Father God, in that nation and this nation. Father God, open their hearts, open their eyes and help them to see, Father God. Help them to see the reward of their wickedness, Father. Father God, help them to also repent. Help them also, Father, to humble themselves before You, to get in on their knees. And Lord, to seek Your forgiveness. Father, that's where it begins for, for them and us, Father, that we go to our knees and seek Your forgiveness. And Father, may we, may we be faithful to call out to You. Father, we know that You are an awesome and powerful God. And Father, we pray all these things in the name of Your blessed Son, our glorious Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.